Awesome. We are uh, today continuing in our series called uh, Freedom from Religion. And uh, the series is, a, is, is an important series because it is a topic we need to talk about from now and then, from, uh, uh, from time to time, because this was a very important topic for Jesus. In fact, a large part of Jesus' ministry was, was to free people from the religious system and to free people from the, the, the bondage and the weight that the religious system had placed on people. And, and we've seen so far in the series that Jesus purposely at times went around breaking some of the religious rules and causing uh, the religious leaders to get quite angry in order to create a billboard for us to remind us of the dangers of negative religion and to remind us what happens when religion goes bad. Because when religion goes bad, it always ends up hurting people and it causes what Jesus said to the Pharisees, he says they, you know, they put up a roadblock for people entering the kingdom. And, uh, and, and religion will always do that. And again, in this series, when I'm using the word religion, I'm using it in its, its negative sense. And we've been using this definition, that it's any system of belief, behavior, and belonging that people use to achieve rather than receive right standing with God. And that can be right belief, a proof system of theology. In other words, I got the right doctrinal, doctrinal list. That's why I'm right with God, and you have the wrong doctrinal list. That's why you're not right with God. It could be right behavior. Uh, look at all the good things I do, and look at all the horrible things you do, and this is why I'm right with God, because I have so much more together in my life, or, or right belonging. I, I belong to the right church, and you belong to the wrong church, therefore I'm right with God, and you're not. I mean, the gospel is a gift. And Ephesians chapter 2 says that we cannot boast. And the moment we think it's about our doctrinal list or right belonging or right conduct, then all of a sudden we have something to boast about. And when we've missed the simplicity and the freedom and the gift of the gospel, Jesus is the hero. Religion makes us the hero. And so we need to make sure that we are walking in the gospel, not in religion. And last week we talked about this tendency we have to drift towards religion, that, because religion can actually be very attractive. Uh, freedom sometimes is scary, and relationships sometimes is hard, but, but rules <laughs> and religion it can bring comfort to us, and it can be easier at times. And so we talked last week a while about why we sometimes drift into religion, because, I mean, dealing with messy people and having to love your enemy and love that, your neighbor who is you know, not all together can be hard and that can be messy. And it's like, I don't want to deal with that. I just want, just give me some simple rules. I just want to focus in on reading my Bible and doing some little religious things so I don't actually have to love those people. I mean, that's what religion does. And that's why we need to run from it because Jesus told us that we need to run from that very thing. And today I want to look a little bit at kind of church history uh, because when we talk about the dangers of religion, we can't uh, ignore, we can't ignore the messiness of church history. And if you look at kind of a, a denominational tree, if you will, I mean, this is a, a very simplified version. I mean, folks say that there's about 3,000 different denomin denominations out there. Uh, some people will use the word 30,000 uh, denominations, but that's not quite correct because that kind of includes independent churches. Uh, but there's at least thousands of them out there. And the reality is that a lot of these different denominations out there, and we're one of those, formed because of religion, because of you have the wrong doctrinal list and we have the right one, so we're going to split from you. In fact, if you look at church history, there is this very similar theme throughout the history of the church, which is debate, divide, and then fight. 
where we debate theology and then we separate from those we can't convince and then we fight against all those who disagree with us and we use words or swords to do that. And that is kind of a simplified version of the, the ugliness of church history that, that uh, we, we debate something that's different because I don't like what you believe. And then we're like, well, you know, I have a hard time loving you even though Jesus says I'm supposed to love you and I have a hard time being unified with you even though that's what Jesus said I should be. It's easier just to go for my own group over here because that's easier. I can focus on my little comfortable list here rather than having to love you. And then, and then we fight those people. And throughout church history, there have been millions and millions of Christians killed by other Christians over this negative religion uh, that can happen within the church. In fact, <laughs> comedian Emil Phillips told this joke years ago, and it's supposedly one of the top 75 jokes of, of the last 100 years. And it's funny because there's an element of truth to it. And it, it, he, he says this, once I saw this guy on a bridge about to jump, I said, don't do it. He said, nobody loves me. I said, God loves you. Do you believe in God? He said, yes. I said, are you a Christian or a Jew? He said, a Christian. I said, me too. Protestant or Catholic? He said, Protestant. I said, me too. What denomination? He said, Baptist. I said, me too. Northern Baptist or Southern Baptist? He said, Northern Baptist. I said, me too. Northern Conservative Baptist or Northern Liberal Baptist? He said, Northern Conservative Baptist. I said, me too. Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region or Northern Conservative Baptist Eastern Region? He said, Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region. I said, me too. Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lake Region Council of 1879 or Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of, of 1912. He said, Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region of 1912. I said, die, heretic, and I pushed him over the bridge. <laughs> Funny thing about us Christians sometimes you know, you find out someone's a Christian, you're like, oh, this is amazing, and oh, you go to church, I go to church, and then you find out what church you go to, all of a sudden, like, oh, you know, I don't, I don't want to hang out with you ever. <laughs> it's just this sad thing that religion does to us, that the very thing Jesus asked for, which is unity, uh, we do such a horrible <laughs> job at that, because we have this tendency to think that, that everybody should be like me, and the Holy Spirit only speaks through me and my little group, and, 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 and we forget the, the diversity of Christianity. In fact, church history in many ways is like a worm with, uh, or an apple with worms in it. Um, you know, you take an apple with worms in it, you know, there's still a lot of good parts of that apple, uh, even though there's worms in it. But if you pass that apple to somebody and say, hey, do you want this apple? They'll see worms in it and say, no, thank you. <laughs> and one of the big objections to Christianity is when people look at church history. They say, you know, church history is full of a lot of worms. You know, there's some good stuff in there for sure, but it has a lot of worms. And, and Jesus talks about you should know people by their fruit, and the, and the fruit of, of Christianity has been, has been quite bad sometimes, so I don't want anything to do with it. And you know, that's just something we need to acknowledge. The church history has a lot of ugly things in it. Granted, there are some good parts, but when we pass that apple to people, you know, sometimes it's not all that tantalizing because of the worms. But we also need to realize that a lot of church history is filled with people who have claimed to be a Christian, who've said they're part of the church, but in reality are actually living out a complete opposite path to what Jesus asks. 
And just because you say you're following Jesus doesn't necessarily mean you are. And we see a lot of church history where the church is claiming to do things in the name of God, which are a hundred and million degrees opposite of where God is actually at. So I want to look at a bit of church history, and, uh, and I want to start with, uh, I mean, this is super brief. I mean, I took two, two full master's courses on church history, and that was just a, a snippet of church history. And by the way, when I took, took church history, I learned two things. Number one, that it is the height of pride to ever say that I got it right. <laughs> I mean, the history of Christianity shows us that it is very, very diverse, and we got to appreciate that and, and, and learn into that. And the other thing I learned about church history is that, man, this is one messy family. Very, very messy. And it's got lots of worms in it. And again, but all of this just reminds us about the dangers of religion. Again, it's another billboard that says that we got to be really, really careful that we stay close to Jesus and not get wrapped up in the religious system, which sometimes is so, so inviting. But the church started for the first 400 years as an undivided church. There was conflict, yes. You see conflict even in Paul's letters. But there was no like major split in the church where there was like these other denominations formed. It, it was fairly together. An undivided church, the one holy Catholic uh, apostolic church. Uh, and one of the reasons why it was more undivided because Christians had to spend a lot of time just trying to stay alive. I mean, there was a lot of persecution and when you're trying to, to just survive, you tend not to fight as much with other people because you want them in, near you to just, just to live. There was a lot of persecution, and the church as well spent a lot of time focusing on loving people. And sociologists who study religion uh, are fascinated by how fast Christianity actually grew in these first 400 years. And one of the reasons it grew so quickly was because of the incredible ability for the early church to love to love the sick, to love people during epidemics of sickness, and to, to care for women, and to elevate women in society, and, to, and children, I mean, is one of the biggest reasons why Christianity spread so quickly in the early days. In 313, Christianity was finally, finally legalized. Up until that point, it was not really a legal religion, and that's why they were persecuted a lot. They were actually called atheists in those days, because the standard religion was you believe in lots of gods, and Christianity said there was only one God, and so they were, they were called those atheists. In 325 was sort of the first major creed that was put together by the church. And uh, some people see, ask, you know, why did it take so long? The reason was it wasn't safe for church leaders to actually gather. They were under persecution, and now that the, uh, Christianity was actually legalized, it allowed Christian leaders from all over to get together and begin to discuss what exactly do the scriptures say, even though the Bible hasn't been 100% formalized at that time, but they had letters and stuff, and they're like, what is it that we believe? And so they came up with the Nicene Creed, which was this unifying creed that all of the church leaders believed. And then later in 381, uh, they met again and added a bit to the creed. But this Nicene, or the, the Creed of Constantinople of 381, is still a unifying creed amongst pretty much all Christians. The major groups between Protestant, Catholic, and Orthodox all hold to this, this fundamental creed. And because it's so important in church history, and is a unifying creed, I just want to take a moment to read it. It's not that long. 
It says, we believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all ages, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one substance with the Father through whom all things came to be, who, on account of us men and our salvation, came down from heaven and became flesh from the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary and became man. And He was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate and suffered and was buried and rose again on the third day according to the Scriptures and ascended to the heavens and is seated on the right hand of the Father and shall come again with glory to judge the living and the dead, dead of whose kingdom there shall be no end. And in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the life giver who proceeds from the Father, who with the Father and the Son is worshiped and glorified, who spoke through the prophets in one holy Catholic and apostolic church, we confess one baptism for the remissions of sins. We await the resurrection of the dead and the life of the age to come. And this was the days of the unified church where there was one. It says right here, uh, in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. And that was the way it was in, in the beginning. But that changed, of course, in started to begin to change uh, once Christianity became sort of the, the official religion of Rome, and uh, religion began to get wrapped up in politics, was, was, was begin to, begin to, begin to, Christianity began to, to slide down. It was during this time that a lot of people actually fled to the desert. Uh, they were tired of the city, and it was busy, and uh, you know, now Christianity was, was official, and, and people just wanted to run from that. And so, I mean, there were folks living already, some of the desert fathers and mothers, but there was a huge influx of what we call the desert fathers and mothers during this time. In fact, some of these little outposts in the desert actually became villages, and those villages had to separate because they wanted just to, just to get away to be with God. And this is where um, monasticism and uh, like uh, some of our mystical Christianity and contemplative Christianity really comes from these desert fathers and mothers. Uh, monasticism comes from that. Uh, and so, uh, but still there was a sense of unity. I mean, uh, St. Francis of Assisi, who once met with a bishop from the city and says, you know, you live and have to battle the temptations of the city, but I have to battle the temptations of the desert. But the, uh, the first major split happened in 1054, and this is where the Eastern Church split from the Western Church. There was sort of ongoing conflict, and it began to hit a height where they, it finally was this gigantic split, and it's called the Great Schism. And it split over language um, between the Greek of the East and the Latin of the West. There was a split over the, the power of the Bishop of Rome wanted to have power over all the churches, including the Eastern churches, and the Eastern churches weren't really into that. Uh, a big issue actually was, which we might think is a minor issue, but it was actually a huge issue. Still is a big issue in some churches. And that is, do you use leavened bread or unleavened bread for communion? Big issue. Uh, the Western church says you can only use unleavened bread. That is the only, that's the kind of bread they use at the Passover. That's the only thing. The Eastern church said, no, 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 no. We want to use leavened bread because Jesus, after the resurrection, ate leavened bread. And leavened bread speaks of resurrection and joy. And this is what we're to be living into. And it became such a debate. This is one of the, the big issues that caused this huge schism. And you think fighting over the color of the carpet is crazy. Well, we fight over silly things in the church. And then 
the Western church began to add things to the Nicene Creed, and uh, the, the Eastern church didn't like this. And this is the phrase where it says, Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father. The, the Western church wanted to add, and the Son. The Eastern church says, no, we should leave it where, where it is, where all, where was, there's agreement around this. And so that became, and so there was a huge split within the church in 1054, and this split still exists today. If you look at how Christianity is laid out, uh, about 12% of Christians today would consider themselves Orthodox or from that Eastern movement. And today would be known as Eastern Orthodox or Oriental uh, Orthodox churches. Uh, and again, we need to be aware that, that we're not the only deal. In fact, we're more of a minority. The, the Roman Catholics in this world far outnumber us. Uh, Orthodox are about 12%. Protestants are about 30, 37. But if you walked into an Eastern Orthodox church, and I've been in them, uh, they're very different. Again, it's the height of pride to think that we have it right, and, and we do church the right way. I mean, they're, they're very much more into mystery. The Western church, we like to define every little doctrinal point and have it all, and we, we fight over those things. The Eastern church is very much more into just allowing things to be a mystery. And, uh, and so uh, that, that's where the, the Orthodox church came from. And of course, now that Christianity is official religion of the empire, it became very wrapped up in politics. And uh, it's just always bad throughout history whenever religion gets wrapped up in politics. But this is where the church really enters some of its darkest periods and some of the most ugly things you could ever imagine done in the name of Christianity and the church. And again, it's a reminder of what happens when religion seeps in. The Crusades began not long after the split between the Eastern and the Western church. And the Crusades last, last about 400 years. The most famous of those crusades is, of course, the crusades into the Holy Land, where the church wanted to retake Jerusalem for Christianity and, you know, conquer those horrible Muslims, as, as they said. Horrible things happened. Here's an account of one of the crusaders who came in to rescue Jerusalem from the Muslims. Just, just, just hear how Christ-like this is. Wonderful things were, see, uh, were to be seen. Numbers of Muslims were beheaded. Others were shot with arrows or forced to jump from the towers. Others were tortured for several days, then burned with flames. Piles of heads and hands and feet were seen in the streets of the city. It was necessary to pick one's way over the bodies of men and horses. But these were small matters compared to what happened at the Temple of Solomon. What happened there? I tell you the truth, it will exceed your powers of belief. So let it suffice to say this much at least, that in the temple and the portico of Solomon, men rode in blood up to their knees and the bridle reins. Indeed, it was a just and splendid judgment of God that this place should be filled with the blood of the unbelievers when it had suffered so long from their blasphemies. And I mean, uh, very much different from what Jesus says. I mean, compare that to what Jesus says. Listen, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. Love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward from heaven will be great, and you will truly be acting as children of the Most High, for He is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. You must be compassionate just as your Father is compassionate. And it was during this phase of church history where most of the church 
was completely going in 100% opposite direction, 180% opposite direction than Jesus. I mean, they, they taught that if you were part of the, and you, you killed these infidels or these horrible people, that you would be freed or you would free someone from, from purgatory and just, just a nasty time where religion was wrapped up in politics. And then came the Inquisition not long after where the inquisitors were charged with rooting out any kind of heresy. If you spoke or thought anything that was not in line with the official doctrinal list, you could be charged with heresy and then you were brought into these, these torture chambers and tortured for hours or days or weeks until you confessed. And it was during this time where some of the most horrendous torture devices were actually created by the church. And a lot of these torture devices actually had inscribed on them, glory only unto God, as they were making people suffer in pain and killing people <laughs> in these torture chambers. And, and because, you know, it was kind of like, you know, it's not a good thing to shed blood, they developed all these kinds of torture devices to hurt people and kill people without shedding their blood. It's one of the reasons they used a lot of hot irons to sear and to, to sear people in, even in their genitalia in the most horrible spots because they, if you seared them, they wouldn't bleed. Again, completely opposite to what Jesus says here, to love your enemies and, and do good. I mean, Jesus is reaching out to the tax collector and sinner and the church during this time because it was so caught up in religion and politics was, was killing uh, the, those kinds of folks. Brooksy Cavey said this, talking about religion meets politics. He says, one of the great warnings in the Bible is, and that comes from Revelation, there's a whole warning about religion and politics there. One of the great, great warnings in the Bible is that religion is especially destructive when it lays hold of political power to support its own agenda. When religion wields the might of political power and thereby legislative and military power to accomplish its ends, truth and love suffer together. This, holy un, uh, this unholy alliance of religion and politics always wrecks havoc by building a society on the myth of all myths that this universe is run by coercive power rather than humble love. And one of the mistakes we often make is that, that we have a desire to power control, we have a desire to be superior over others, we have a desire to make everybody believe the way we want, and so we place that on God, and we think He is into power and control and, and might and destruction and army and militaries, and it's just not so. Jesus came to reveal who the Father is. The best picture we have of who the Father is, is Jesus. And Jesus said to love your enemies. I mean, there was a time when the disciples said to Jesus to this village that was, you know, they didn't like, shall we call down fire from heaven? <laughs> you know, we should do that. You know, the Old Testament tells us we should do that. Jesus looks at the disciples and rebukes them because Jesus came to bring life, not death and destruction. And it, it's, just, it's, just, it's just a bad thing when Christians get to this place where they're all about trying to control and power and wanting to, to, to do that because just, church history is just... It's just it's gone bad. <laughs> the next major split was the Reformation in 1517, and this was the biggest split in all of church history. And it's where Martin Luther, you know, nailed his theses on the, the door of the Wittenberg Church. And uh, I mean, at that time, and, and the Roman Catholics admit, admit this today, that the church was really bad. <laughs> the Roman Catholic Church um, was just not doing well in those days. And, and so there was a split between the Protestants and the Catholics, and of course our church finds itself in the Protestant wing, 
But we've got to realize that most Christians in this world are brothers and sisters who hold to the Nicene Creed, uh, are, are Roman Catholic. Again, to say that we have it right and we're the only way and we have it perfect and those people, you know, we need to fight against them and they're, they're our brothers and sisters. They love Jesus just as we love Jesus. Just as the Orthodox love Jesus. Well, after the Reformation, you think maybe things would settle down, but it actually got into some of the even darker days. After the Reformation, Christians started killing Christians. Well, they were doing that before in the Inquisition, you know, inquisitors killing Christians for their their different beliefs, but these European religious wars where Christianity was very wrapped up in politics and therefore power and control, and then there was a the difference between the Catholic, you know, political leaders and, the, and the, the Protestant religious leaders and their military powers, that these religious wars actually killed 7 to 18 million people. Christians killing Christians. 7 to 18 million people people died because you have a different doctrinal list than me. Sad time in church history. And by the way, it actually took a secular group of people in what is called the, the, the Westphalia, Peace of Westphalia, to actually end these religious wars. I mean, the Christians couldn't actually do it during this time. And then later during this time was, of course, the, the, the infamous witch, witch, witch hunts, where between forty to 200,000 people were killed because they were charged of being, being a witch. And a lot of the, uh, even today, the way we see witches was, came from actually a lot of propaganda that was developed in those days to make witches seem like they're just completely horrible and evil and awful people. Um, and uh, and 85% of those executed were actually female. And part of it was that this belief that, that witches had some sort of power to seduce. And so when they would, you know, in the witch hunts, they would always strip people naked to see if they had any marks on them, any witchcraft marks, and if somehow the male, you know, uh, witch hunter got aroused at all, seeing this naked woman, they would think, well, it's obviously witchcraft, and it's one of the reasons why a lot of these were women. I mean, just a horrible, horrible time in, in the church, and we might be tempted to say, you know, we're so glad we don't do that anymore. You know, we, we've developed so much since then. Maybe, but maybe not. Uh, Brooksy Cavey says this, it would be nice to comfort, comfort ourselves with thoughts of how much the Christian religion has progressed from the violent times, but that would be a false comfort. It is my conviction that many conservative Christian groups refrain from killing, not because they have matured, but because the institutional church has lost the power it once had. Violent attitudes may be muted in today's world, but they find ways to reemerge in different forms. Listen to the sermons and sound bites of many popular Christian leaders today, and you will notice the same aggressive, angry, uncharitable attitudes lingering beneath the surface. It's just that we can't kill with swords anymore because that's illegal, but we can certainly still kill with words. And we've been seeing this in a heightened way with, with all the, the stuff that's going on in the States. I mean, I just read this in the New York Times the other day. Uh, Jeremiah Johnson, who is a very, you know, right-wing conservative uh, preacher, uh, was a Trump supporter, and he, he was one of the many prophets who prophesied that Trump would win the election again, and so a lot of these guys are having to apologize for making a prophecy that wasn't correct, and Jeremiah Johnson was one of them who put out an apology saying, you know, I prophesied falsely about this, and uh, he writes in his Facebook post, over the last 72 hours, I have received death threats 
and thousands upon thousands of emails from Christians saying the nastiest and most vulgar things I have ever heard towards my family and ministry. Don't think for a moment this violent, military, militant kind of Christianity has gone away. It is still there. It's just we can't kill each other with swords, so we kill each other with words and Facebook posts and, and all those other things. And, and it's very alive and well. And again, this is going 180 degrees in the opposite of Jesus. I mean, where do you see the fruit of the Spirit in that? Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, self-control. I mean, this is what happens again when, when we try to pull Jesus into our religion and pull Jesus into our politics, and it just goes bad. I mean, we need to keep our, our face fixed on Jesus. And there's been huge fallout about this, by the way. Do you know that people leaving the church right now is at an all-time high? It, it's, it's just astronomical, the reports of how many people are leaving the church right now. And it's not because of Jesus. It's because of uh, the, the religion that has crept in and the trying to control other people that has crept in. In fact, uh, Nadia Weber said this, people don't leave Christianity because they stop believing in the teachings of Jesus. People leave Christianity because they believe in the teachings of Jesus so much they can't stomach being part of an institution that claims to be about that and clearly isn't. And I tell you, if we want to keep moving the church forward, so that our grandkids have a church to go to and still love church. I mean, this is something we need to be very well aware of. Religion creeping in, the desire to control, the desire to say that my list is better than your list and, and I have the right actions, you have the right or wrong actions and my group is better than your group. That is hurting the church in astronomical numbers. I mean, I, I, I can't even tell you how sad I am about how many young people are leaving the church these days, and, and there's part of me that actually doesn't blame them <laughs> sometimes, because we can be messy. I mean, Jesus said in John 17 to His followers, and this was His prayer, He says, I have given them the glory you gave me. In other words, the same glory the Father gave to Jesus, Jesus says He has given to us His followers. Now, why did Jesus give us His glory? That says, so that they may be one as we are one. Just as the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are one, Jesus was praying, may my church be one. Now, why did Jesus want the church to be one? Well, he goes on. He says that may they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. In other words, Jesus is praying, may my people be one, because that is how the world is going to know that you love them, and that's how you're going to know that this is the real deal. But the reality is, we've done the exact opposite. People are running from the church because we've completely missed this, because often when people walk into the church, they, they don't sense love sometimes. They, they sense power and control. And the reality is, if, if you know what it's like to go and to pray something and have your prayer un un unanswered, the reality is Jesus knows what it's like to have his prayer unanswered because his prayer has not been answered. Uh, I mean, this is where we just need to get back to Jesus, to get back to his teachings, to get back to the gospel, and to fix our eyes on Jesus to stop fixing our eyes and trying to gain control and to change the world and to have political power, but to fix our eyes on Jesus and get back to the heart of the gospel, which is a gift, 
to be filled with the fruit of the Spirit so that when people touch us and feel us, they don't see power and control and anger and military might. They, they see love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, self-control. That is the gospel. That is the fruit that Jesus said. You will know them by their fruits. Jesus fought against religion. We have to fight, fight as well against religion in us and around us because that's the gospel. It's a gift. It's a gift. So keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. So Father, we just ask this morning that you would help us to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. You help us to keep our eyes fixed on the gospel. And we would receive it as a gift. And God, that we might be so amazed and overjoyed at what you have done, that we just might be filled with the fruit of the Spirit. God, you fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit. And God, may people begin to see the heart of the gospel, which is what Jesus commanded over and over and over again. The very thing that the Bible says is the, the thing that sums up the entire law, and that is that we would love one another. In Jesus' name. Amen.